0: One of the challenges as we work our way through the book of Psalms, one of the things I'm discovering is uh, something uh, Pastor Gerald used to tell me a long time ago. He uh, used to say whenever he was teaching that he uh, had to live through whatever things were going on during that time. And we look at the Psalms and we say, wow, Psalms, Psalms is... Is uh, the focus is the reality of the hardness of life and the goodness of God in the midst of all that? And I was—we had a birthday party for uh, Joe. Joe's eighteen now, so we had a birthday party for Joe at uh, Gertie's. And Susie Jones was there. She's a local representative for the Red Cross and uh, so we were just talking, and she said, "Man, I'm just so thankful. It seemed like there was a rash of fires, and hasn't been any for a while and That's the night the trailer burned in on Addison Road, and two babies died a four year old and a one year old and uh you know, so she called me she got home about three in the morning and and she called me just trying to deal with it, right? I mean, it doesn't matter, the story really doesn't make any difference. The There's no way the story's going to get better, <laughs> right? A four-year-old and a one-year-old burned in front of their mom who couldn't get to them. That's rough. That's rugged. How do you deal with that? Well, what about the firemen? How do they deal with it, that got in and we're too late. How to, How's a mom and a dad and, and all the things you wonder all the way through no matter what. The end of the day, still two babies in heaven which for them is not so bad but for the rest of us, especially those close to them, that's rugged. Then uh, I catch a video somewhere on uh, uh, Facebook or something about some guys, uh, somebody videotaped beating up an old man. Why would you do that? I don't care what he'd done. You know, I don't know. I don't know nothing about the story. All I know is I, what I've seen passing by, and I thought, man, that's the depravity of man. 20-year-olds beat him till he is unconscious on the ground and then film them walking away and then put it on Facebook what kind of place do we live in and those are two uh, tragedies in it doesn't take you no time to fill up the rest of your day with more does it trip on the news or talking to people yeah life is hard right and the 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 sad part at the end of it all there's no great answer you know people call me "Jackie, you know, help me." Man, who's going to help me? The the reality is there's no answer. Life is hard. Bad things happen. And sometimes occasionally God gives us answers to the wise, but more often than not he asks us to trust him anyway even though we can't reconcile at all I still know at the end of the day I'd rather trust in God than anything else but I don't have any more answers so what I do is I, I say you know what God's word says to mourn with those who mourn and it helps share in the sorrow so Susie cried with a mom who lost her two babies and in some small way that helps that helps Right, and when we go through the psalm, and and the things that David's facing and the struggles that we'll look at tonight, and all the way through 150 psalms, we're going to be here a while. Uh, as we work our way through it, the important point that we want to grasp from it all is that it was all dealing with different people: David, Asaph, uh, the sons of Korah. There's different people who wrote and were responsible. For the Psalms, but each one is taking some of their pain or struggle, some of their joy too, not all Psalms are dealing with pain, but they, they take it and they lift it up to God. And they lift up, as they lift up to God, they lift up their, their heart and where they're at and what they're struggling with. Because they're, they're not afraid to, to tell God. They're not disrespectful of God, so don't think that's what I'm telling you to do. But they are not afraid to, to share my heart and my, my disappointment or my joy or my excitement or my whatever it is. That, but at the end, they know that where i got to go with all the hard things in life is to the Lord. There's not anywhere else to go. Nobody else has the answers. Nobody else has them. But as we, as we trust, cling, hold to, and we go through the psalm, one of the reasons why God preserved His Word for us so that we could go through a study like this and look at the psalms is to see that what Paul wrote to us in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is true says, No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. The word for temptation, test, and trial is the same word. It's all the same word in, in a Greek. It's the same word. that the James says, Count it all joy when you find yourself... Um, whoa, I lost it now. Under various trials. Knowing, not joy because, Oh, this is so cool to go under a trial. But I know that the trial is going to produce... And the word is hupemone. It's translated patience, endurance, um, sometimes long-suffering. But the idea of hupemone is to bear under the the burden. To bear up under the burden. Not a desire to escape it. Knowing that it produces hupemone, endurance, the strength to stand, even when I, I don't want to stand. And then when that has its perfect work, it makes you complete. Makes you as a man, woman... Child, mature, grown up in, in Christ, able to handle the things that life brings. With every temptation, trial, difficulty that we go through, God gives us the pass, the strength, the whatever we need to overcome it. I'm not saying He doesn't give you more than you can handle. He'll frequently give you more than you can handle. But the reason He gives you more than you can handle, so you will grab onto Him. Because he's got the strength to carry you through. And we see it in the Psalms. Man, David poured out the, the whole first book of Psalms is made up of five books. And the whole first book is primarily all Psalms of David. Various times in his life, various, various struggles that he was going through. And when we come to, to Psalm 10, we're looking at what's called a lament, a psalm of lament. A psalm of lament always starts with questioning God where are you? Where are you? Why is this happening? Anytime you come to a psalm that starts that way, you're probably looking at a psalm of lament. It's calling out to God, the wise. What's going on? Where are you? And if we're honest, we've been there. Haven't we not been there? If you haven't been there, here's a little bit of encouragement. You will be. So, there will come the time when we call out to God, when we ask Him, why? Where are you? I don't, I don't feel you. I don't feel your presence. I feel alone. And so that's what David's calling out. Why do you stand afar off, O oh Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? So, it's, it's, it's Him calling out, where are you? Now, just so you know, and David understands this. The writer of the psalm understands it. Why? But God didn't go anywhere. Do your do your feelings lie? All the time. I, I, I Sometimes I'm tired. Can I stay up longer? Yep. Well, sometimes I'm hungry. Can I go longer without food? Yep. When I was in the Marine Corps, which was probably the last time I did this, uh, you come to the end of your running and you have to run more. Can you do it? You, are you kidding me? If somebody's shooting it, you'd be amazed what you can still do. I can't take another step. You guys ever see those scenes in a movie? Oh, I can't take it. That doesn't ever happen. Never happens. I know of guys who had their legs blown off and still ran. With their legs amputated at the knee. You, you, your feelings lie. You are able to do a a lot more than you think. And so when I feel alone, when I feel like God's not there, when I feel like, like I can't take anything else, don't you know that's just your flesh crying out, saying, this is too hard. But that's not ever God. God says things like, with men, it's impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. He can overcome. He can give you the strength to endure. Even though I look at things and I hear things on the news and I see things and I think, I don't think I can live through that. God says, well, with man it's impossible. But with me, with the Lord, all things are possible. God hasn't moved. God didn't leave. He's still there. He's still working the the, the real issue is not, where are you? The real issue is, why haven't you done it my way? Because my way would have been a lot better than this way. My way would have saved them two kids. And I assume, my way is better. But because that didn't happen then I know it's not true. I don't know why, but I know it's not true. God says, I have given you the greatest gift in all of heaven. God says, I've given you the the most prized possession I have. He gave us His Son. And will He not with Him also freely give us Every good thing. That's true. No matter how something looks. No matter how bad it tastes. Or or how ugly it seems. If God didn't give it, it wasn't good. And we can't see with His eyes. Can we? I can't see with His eyes. But I know... The God of heaven gave me his most prized possession. And he said, I'll I'll give you everything good. So if he didn't give it, somehow it wasn't good. And the reality of our cry, where are you God, is not a where are you God. We know where God is. The reality of our cry is, I'm mad that you did it this way. I'm mad that I lost the case. I'm mad that I, that I've gone through this hardship. I'm mad that I've, I'm in a financial crisis. Why have you brought me to this place is, is more the question. But the, the, the idea is simple. I feel abandoned. I'm disappointed, God, in what's happened. I'm disappointed in the way things turned out. In verse two, he defines it for us. The wicked, in his pride, persecutes the poor. So let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. The Christ's common cry, all the way through the the Psalms. Why do these bad people get away with it? But you know the cure for that. Just let God just dangle you over the gates of hell for a couple of seconds. Because if you really knew what that was like... It doesn't matter what somebody did, you would not be saying, judge them. Because God's not. He says, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked. Where is his glory found? When the wicked repent and live. So... God's ways are not our ways. But this is the cry. Why, why do they get away with this? For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and he, he renounces the Lord. People talk about the Lord's no good and, and the wicked in his proud countenance doesn't seek God. He says there is no God. God is in none of his thoughts. But, the, the, but his way is prosperous. Why is his life so easy and, and my life so hard? His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. He doesn't even recognize God's hand of control in his life. And as for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He's not even afraid. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit. And oppression under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He's filled with arrogance. Arrogance is saying there is no God and God can't get me and God is in control of my life. I'm 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 the master of my own destiny. He sits in lurking places of the villages. What's he saying? the, The wicked sit in places and say, God can't see me. God can't stop me. In the secret places he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws them into his net. So he crouches and he lies low that the helpless may fall by his strength. Everything a psalmist is saying in Psalm 10, you could say this this wicked person is just evil. Just don't even personify it. And you would agree with every one of his statements. What is this world we live in where man does this to man? Where this is the way people treat each other. And they say, God's not here. And we all wonder, where are you? How long is this going to go on? In verse 11 he says, he has said in his heart, God has forgotten, he hides his face, he will never see. God can't see me, God doesn't see me, God doesn't see me. That's not an uncommon feeling. In fact, flip over in your Bibles to Genesis 16. Genesis 16, probably one of my favorite stories. So many of those. We'll pick it up about verse 7. Oh, we'll back up 5. And Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. So the Lord judged between you and me. This is the day Abram was in trouble for listening to his wife. In a, in a minute, you're, in a few chapters, it's going to flip. <laughs> You've got a little too good. So, so Abram li- listened. Sarah said, take Hagar. He took Hagar. Hagar stopped listening to what Sarah said. So Sarah's upset. And he, she yells at Abram. And Sarah said, uh, uh, so Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do it to her as you want. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So Hagar runs out into the wilderness, to the desert. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. You pay attention to that phrase? The angel of Jehovah, the angel of Yahweh. The angel of God, capital L-O-R-D, is what the Bible calls a theophany. What's the word angel mean? Messenger or word. Who's the word of God? Jesus. The word of the Lord found her. And in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. The Bible, uh, theology calls this a theophany, an appearance of God. God the Father is spirit. No man has seen God at any time. So who, when they see God, who are they seeing? The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He reveals God to us. So they see Jesus. So Jesus found her. She's running away from a situation, and she feels like God can't see. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what's going on in my life. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Pretty important questions to hear from God. Where have you come from and where are you going? She don't have any idea, does she? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. So what did she say? She told him where she was coming from, but what didn't she know? She don't know where she's going. I don't know where I'm going. I'm running out into the desert. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude." Pretty similar to the promise God gave to Abraham, right? Who's her child? Ishmael. Did God love Ishmael? Yeah. Well, Sometimes we sell that all short when we say, Abraham's such a bonehead, he did this, and, and now the two brothers have been fighting ever since. Well, it's partially true, right? Ishmael and, and Isaac are still fighting. Israel's still fighting out their their own cousins and brothers and... And, and all that but don't lose the sight that God loved him God said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make him fruitful he said and the angel of the Lord said to her behold you are with child and you will bear a son and you will call his name Ishmael who named Ishmael God did God named him because the Lord has heard your affliction does God know what's going on in her life Hagar? She's not even part of the big story. The big story is Abraham and Sarah. Who's Hagar? Hagar's the mistake. Does God still know her? God still love her? Does God still see her, even in her affliction? Yeah. And then he says of Ishmael, he will be a wild man. Now, I don't know what dad doesn't want to hear this about his son. He's going to be a wild man? Oh, Good. He's going to be tough. He's going to be strong. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. He's going to have it hard. But he's going to prevail. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. El Roy. The God who sees. We've got to remind ourselves, man, when life is crazy and sideways. Because when Ishmael's born, this is going to happen again. Only the next time, Sarah's going to say to Abraham, Abraham, put him out. And Abraham's going to say, No, I'm not going to listen to you. And then God's going to say to Abraham, Listen to Sarah, what's wrong with you? Put him out. He's going to say, Put him out, put him out. And, and then we think, when we look at that, we think, oh, God didn't love Ishmael. No, God named him. God had a purpose and a plan for Ishmael, but it wasn't the one that he was born into with Abraham. It was different. So God told Abraham, you give him to me. Don't you see, when he turned Ishmael out, that was the training ground for when he was going to offer Isaac. Because you know, for Abraham, it was no different. Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael would live before you. God said, No. Isaac's the one. You give Ishmael to me. So when he put Ishmael out, what did he give him? One skin of water. So they went a little ways in the desert. And finally, Hagar couldn't go anymore. And Ishmael's probably 16. He can't go anymore. He's... He's totally dehydrated. She lays the child under a bush and she goes away a distance away so she can't see him die. And she lays down. What happened? And the angel of the Lord came. Hey Hagar, where are you coming from? And where are you going? And he sustained the boy. He said, don't be afraid, Hagar. I told you he was going to have a multitude of children. There will be 12 princes that will come from his line. God had a plan for him, didn't he? Was life easy? I wouldn't call that easy. What about it? Is a family, dysfunctional? Yeah, the definition. It's everywhere in the Bible, dysfunctional family. Just about every family we look at is dysfunctional in the Bible. That's nothing new. We didn't invent that today. Does God still work in it? Yes. Is life hard? Yes. Does God see? Yeah. Even when you think he's not watching, God sees. Well, this wicked, the evil, thinks God's never going to see. So how does he cry out? He says, Arise, O Lord, in Psalm 10 again. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. The wicked man says, there's no judgment. There's no judgment day. There's none of this. I don't know what you guys are talking about. God, why don't you do something? Look at verse 14. As the psalmist lays out his cry, and he lays out his case, and he, and he, and he lays out all the things that he sees, and, and why evil is able to, to move forward, and, and have success, and be prosperous, and all these things... Then he comes to the answer himself. God leads him as he opens up his heart. One of the most important things in a husband and wife relationship is emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy is when a husband and wife can be together and emotionally naked and unashamed and unafraid. I mean, no walls, no protection, no, nothing in between them. And he is letting her into himself, into his life, into his emotions, into his fears, into all that stuff. And she is, is the same, allowing him into her, no protection, no, no trying to, to save yourself from hurt or pain. See, that leads to everything else that people want in marriage. They just try to bypass that. Well, we don't really need that. Yeah, you do. And as the psalmist is writing this song to God, that's what's happening between him and God. He's letting God intimately into his heart and his fears and his worries, and God, in that process, is speaking to him the answer. He's letting him know. So that you'll notice the psalms, especially the imprecatory psalms. They're going to move through all this disappointment and frustration, and then they come out good at the end. You ever notice that? Well, that's because that's being worked out in that life, in a spiritual sense, between a a man and God. Between mankind and God. That's why Paul says, pray deeply without ceasing. Live your life in that place where you're not ashamed or afraid to call out, to to lay yourself bare before God and to receive from God His response. And that's that's what happens. Look what he says. But you have seen. You are the God who sees. That's really what we need to know right I mean there's not some answer we just need to know do you see me do you know what's happening and he comes to that point but you are the God who sees you are the God who, who, who you have seen for you observe trouble and grief God's not blind to repay it by your hand is there a day of reckoning? Yes. You know, the Bible talks about two things. The, the day of reckoning and the day when... Uh, it's another R word, but it's gone. When, when God restores everything that was lost. And which one you face depends on your choice. Do you receive Jesus Christ? Then it's the day of restoration. you reject Christ? Then it's the day of reckoning. Because in Christ, we have everything we've ever lost. And without Christ, all we can expect is the day of reckoning. To give an answer to the God who made us so he said, you see it, nothing goes past his hand. The helpless commits himself to you, and you are the helper of the fatherless. Then he moves into a, a, an imprec- imprecatory statement, which simply means a curse. Cursing the evil. What's he say? Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. That's his desire, that evil is dealt with, under the hand of God don't we want to see that day? I'm tired of the, seeing the days where where evil comes out on top because God is long suffering and waiting and desires that no man would perish I long for the day when evil gets its due that's all he's saying he, there's not a name there get John and break his arm and knock out all his teeth that's not what an imprecatory psalm is about An imprecatory, sorry, John, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to pick on you. It's not, an imprecatory psalm is calling out that curse on, on evil, that unnamed entity of wickedness, the frustration of all that is fallen. So he goes on in verse 16 and, and goes on with it. God sees. Next, God will judge sin. Next, he is king. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his hand. Well, it hasn't happened yet. But he knows the promises of God are so sure that he speaks about it in the past tense. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his hand. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Judgment day will come. But God's word all the way through is, if you knew how horrible that day was, you wouldn't ask for it to hurry. You wouldn't rush it. That's why God doesn't do it. He says, if He has given us His Son, He will also freely give us all things, right? That the Lord gives us all good things, God's judgment day doesn't happen today. That's not good yet. But there will be a day when it's good. When it's time. That's the day when it will come. Until that time, we want to open up. We want to allow God to do the work He does in the psalmist to us. Then maybe we can move on to Psalm 11, and we can experience the attitude in Psalm 11, especially in verse 1. What's he decide? What should I do? In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? God can't save you. You've got to save yourself. You know, God helps those who help themselves. That's 2nd uh, Hesitations 5 5, right? That's Benjamin Franklin. He's not one of the apostles. So when we, when we look at it, he says, Man, I have to make this decision. He recognized it in the beginning. In the Lord I will put my trust. I will put my trust in the Lord. I've got to remind myself of that. When I hear stories that break my heart and I see things that break my heart, I've got to remind myself, i put my trust in the Lord. God has this. It's not my job to solve it. It's my job to trust God. We come to Psalm 11 and we begin there. But then in verse 2 he talks about not, what I should do is trust the Lord. In verse 2 he says, here's what the enemy does. For look. The wicked, again, unnamed, evil. You guys get what I'm saying? The the evil that man does, the unnamed entity that is in opposition to all that is God. The wicked bend their bow, and they make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. What's the enemy do? He attacks the righteous. He attacks the righteous. Those who want to stand in righteousness... And then verse 3, the answer, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So he comes to the point and he says, okay, I know I'm supposed to trust in God, but the enemy, he attacks the righteous. And, he, and then if the foundation is destroyed, literally what, that, what that's speaking of is the foundation is shaken. You ever had your foundation shaken? So we can pretend that none of this stuff ever happens. But the reality is, things happen in our life to shake our foundation. And when it shakes your foundation, what will the righteous do? You can't fix it. You can't solve it. You can't make it go away. And the reality is, if your foundation is shaken, let me tell you who did it. God. God. And he didn't do it to destroy you. He did it to strengthen you. God is going to establish that strength. And then in verse 4, he moves and he says, What will God do? Listen. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. What's he saying? God is in his temple. What's the New Testament tell us? Where's the temple of God? So is he with you? Does he see? Does he see? It says, his eyes behold. He sees. His eyelids test. That word for test means to prove. He proves the sons of men. He proves you and I. The wicked, they do what the wicked do. The evil, do what the evil do. My job is to trust in the Lord. And when my foundation is shaken, to remember where God is. With me. He sees me. And He's proving me in this circumstance. He's proving me like you prove steel is strong enough to do what it's strong enough to do. Like those special kind of bolts you buy. What are they called, Jeff? Them bolts that are stronger. Grade 8's. So they got to be stronger than what grade two? Okay, stronger, right? Well, I know we dropped the motor one time, huh? Because the because the grade bolt wasn't able to hold the motor up, couldn't stand up under the strain. So under the strain, it broke. But when God tests, He tests to prove you. Prove what? That you can stand. That in Christ you can do. All things. What does the Bible say in Philippians? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So no matter what you are, He is a grade above. And in Him, you can stand up under the strain. So I trust in God. The wicked do what the wicked do. And even though my foundation is shaken, it's God proving what I can do if I stand with Him. That's what he's declaring to us in Psalm 11. The Lord tests the righteous. Same phrasing. The Lord proves the righteous. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Now which side do you want to be on? The one God hates or the one God proves? That's your two choices. I don't like either one of those choices. I don't like choice A or B. Well, which one do you like the best out of the ones you don't like? You better pick. I know for sure I don't want to be the one God hates. So that means I got to be the one God proves. That means your foundation is going to get shook. That means struggles going to come. That means hardships going to happen. That means that God is going to show you. Look, we are more concerned with destination. You've got to fix that. We're more concerned with destination. What do I mean? Well, maybe I've got a dream. When I was young, i got a dream of being married and having a family. And all I'm caring about is that destination. But all God's caring about is the journey. Because it's in the journey that God proves you not the destination. Destination's heaven. You will arrive. God's not worried about the destination. He's worried about the journey to develop you, to prove you, to strengthen you, to equip you to glorify Him in the life you live. He's going to prove it. He's going to prove you, not the wicked. He says, upon upon the wicked He will rain coals Fire and brimstone and a burning wind. That will be their portion of their cup. So the their, their inheritance, the inheritance of the wicked. Look at how it's described. As raining coals, fire and brimstone, and burning wind. Sound like a good inheritance? No. So you want to be that? You want to have that inheritance? Or the one that says... God is my portion forever. That's a no-brainer. If God is my portion forever, He will prove me. He will purify you. He will purify me. And He uses this broken world to do it. And look as the Psalms comes to its conclusion. Look where it ends. For the Lord... Is righteous. When you're listening to all this stuff. You say, "Man, this is just kind of a drag." And then the psalmist says, "No, God's right. He loves righteousness, and His countenance beholds the upright." That sometimes we, in trying to keep the poetry of 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 the Hebrew, we lose the simplicity of the message. His countenance beholds the upright, you know, it sounds like the Bible. Well, good. What's that mean? You are always having access to God. Praise the Lord. He sees your face. He sees you. The Lord is right in this There's going to be things in our life that are hard and difficult, but God's going to prove me. He's going to give me the strength to overcome. And He's always looking at my face. It doesn't say He always beholds the unrighteous, the lost. He says He always uh, uh, beholds the upright, the righteous, the ones who are in Christ. He didn't lose you. He sees right where you are. He's a part of where you are right now. And He's the key to getting out. Clinging to Him. Finding the strength in Him. He sees your face. Well, that takes us to, to Psalm 12. Help, Lord! Does that feel about right? I hope you feel that way sometimes. Help, Lord. Psalm 12 is a desperate cry of the psalmist, at the state of everyone else. Well, I, David felt this way. Elijah felt this way. Micah felt this way. Isaiah felt this way. God, I'm the only one who really gets this. What about everybody else? The righteous fail. Look what he says. Help, Lord, the godly man ceases. The faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Where are the faithful? Where are the people who really get it? Where are the ones who are following God with all their heart? And then in verse 2, he begins with the phrase, They speak idly. Who's he talking about? The godly men who have failed. The godly people who are supposed to be the example, who who aren't being the example, who aren't who aren't uh, fulfilling their proper responsibility. What are they doing? They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor. They have empty talk. They're, they're, they're not being who they're supposed to be. And then and then he he defines the empty talk that they have with flattering lips and a double heart. They speak double heart, uh, divided heart. You're One's foot in the world and one foot in in the, the Lord. Trying to live in two worlds at the same time. Got to pick one. I can't live in them both. And what's the key? They're, they're speaking with flattery. You know what flattery is? Flattery is, is verbal manipulation. That's all flattery is. Flattery is what you tell someone to try to get them to do what you want them to do. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Flattery always, always is moving away from what God wants. Not having the faithfulness to speak the truth in love like God's word declares. We want to be able to speak the truth in love. It, sometimes we got to confront. Sometimes we got to. We all want to escape it, but sometimes you just got to. You got to tell a brother or a sister, "Hey, you're being a bonehead. That's wrong." And then you love them. Because once you've confronted, once you've dealt with the issue, now you love it. You love the person. You it's it's speaking the truth in love. But these guys are not doing that. They're using empty talk, flattering lips, and a double heart, living in two worlds. So he says, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speak proud things. Well, what proud things have they said? Look at verse 4. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? In other words, I'm going to say what I want to say. Oh, you ever heard that before? you have a teenager, I promise you have. If you don't have a teenager, when you do, you will. I'm going to talk how I want to talk. Nobody's going to tell me what I... Who are they to judge me? God's doing it. The psalmist says, man, they living in two worlds. They have empty talk and flattery lips. And they say, why should I control my mouth? Read James chapter 3. Why should I control my speech? Read James chapter 3. The tongue is a small member, but it causes a lot of damage. Jackie's paraphrase of James 3, shut your pie (laughs) hole. That's a lot shorter than James 3. Disney did it this way. If you don't got nothing nice to say, yeah, just shut up. I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to do what I want to do. Did David ever have people talk trash about him? Saul went to every one of his leaders and said, David's no good and he's rebelling against me. David, all David ever tried to do was do what was good for Saul. And Saul lied about him. Never happened in the church? No. Never is it somebody you try to help out who later comes back and just bad talks you about what a dirtball you are. That never happens. (laughs) Oh man. Daily. All the time. Being willing to submit to God, we should, what did Kathy say today? We should be, we should learn to submit to God sooner. What are you waiting for? Learn to submit to God sooner. In verse 5, we have, we have the deceptive words of the wicked, the guys who are turning away from the Lord. We have the cry of the heart of David and Elijah and Isaiah and Micah in verse 1. And in verse 5, you got the words God would speak. Look what he says. For the oppression of the poor... And for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. That's future tense. Do you understand what that means? He didn't say, I have set him in safety. He said, I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The day will come when God will scoop you up in his arms... And pull you close to his heart. And whisper in your ear. They'll never hurt you again. You're never going to be hurt. You are with me now. Forever. They will always be with him. Where Jesus is. There we will be. That day comes. But between here and that destination. God is concerned with. The journey. And in that journey, there's going to be hardship that comes. The words of the Lord are pure words, they are trustworthy. You can hold on to them. Look, we live our lives by promises, holding to the promises. We don't live our lives on explanations. Our spiritual walk with God is based on His promise, not His explanation. Cling to the promise. That's how we overcome. That's how we come through. That's how we will arrive. He says, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. What's he talking about? God's Word. God's Word is pure, He keeps His promises. He keeps his promises that should both terrify you and encourage you what do you mean well all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer that's a promise he keeps his promises nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus your Lord There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I will never leave you or forsake you. All things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. Hey, there are lots of promises that are good. Don't forget the ones that say life will be hard and God will be good. He'll be with you. Well, He says in verse 7, You shall keep them, O Lord, His promises. You will keep your word. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. Does it not blow your mind that we're reading words that were written 3,000 years ago? How do we still have them? You realize there is no other book on earth that comes from from of old like the bible nothing every whenever they want to compare ancient literature to the bible they they're going to 2nd, 3rd and 4th century AD do you know that in 270 BC the first book ever translated into another language was the Bible. In 270 B.C. it was Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. That was a long time ago. And by the way, it was around a long time before that. And we're reading the words. Oh, come on, Jackie. Go down to Israel, go to Jerusalem, go to the, the shrine of the book, and you can look at the Hebrew scrolls that predate everything we had by a thousand years from the Dead Sea, and you can see the same words. Go look for yourself. if you don't want to go all the way there, just type it in on the internet. I'm sure they'll pop it up and show you a picture. Man, we are reading things that were preserved from of old. He says in verse 8, The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. That, ladies and gentlemen, is our world today. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Is there a better way to describe our world? Is vileness exalted today? Are you kidding me? Man, I'm a big movie buff. I love movies. You know, I almost never go. Because I can't just go to a movie to see a movie. they got to fill it up with a bunch of garbage. Wasn't always that way. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Well, it takes us to Psalm 13. Well, good news, it's short. And I was planning on going to 15, so it's like normal. Psalm 13 begins with a question. What's that tell us about it? It's a a, a psalm of lament. How long, O Lord... How long, how long, how long? Four times in the first two verses, right? You see it? How long, O oh Lord? Here's the question. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? I wrote the answer. Ten years. What? What? Oh, yeah, this is a psalm David wrote when he was hiding in the caves. I know how long. Ten years. How long will you forget me forever? Why is David writing this? Because when I was like 16, you sent your prophet to me and he poured oil over my head. He said I was going to be king. How long? You made these promises to me. What what life was going to be like, and then I actually thought I was going to be king. And I mean, I don't know. I thought right after that thing with Goliath, that had been a good time, or maybe when we got back from that one battle, and all the all the ladies were formed up a line in a parade, and they started singing how I had killed my tens of thousands. That had been a good time, but instead. God allowed Saul, the wicked man, the in bodily uh, um, impersonations, not the right word, but that's the only way I can think of, of evil. He's, thank you. Gosh, English, what, what happened to it? I spent speaking it my whole life. I don't know why. Brain can only hold so many things, and it's having a hard time clinging. So he's the personification of the wicked man. Here in this particular psalm, he has victory over David for ten years. David lived in a cave. How would you define homeless? Does that fit your definition? He lives in the high desert, which would mean the the uh, temperature or the the weather in Israel is very much like it is here. Ten years living in a cave. How's that sound? killer? He had a wife in a palace. He was married. When he got chased away, Saul, King Saul took his wife and gave her to another man. Gave his first love away. First woman he was ever with. How long, O Lord? Ten years. But you know, God never answered that. And when we ask that question, He won't answer it for us either. Might be ten years. Might be ten minutes. Doesn't matter. We are focused on the destination. God is focused on the journey. In order for David to be the king he needed to be, God had to put him in a cave for 10 years. In order for you to be the husband, or the wife, or the father, or the mother, or the person that God wants you to be, you will walk the road you're on. You ever wonder why people seem to go around the same things all the time? Oh, marriage is a prime example. Yeah, I'm on my third or... Fourth marriage, and then first three, I just got them wrong. You know, I picked the wrong person. If I pick the right person, it'll be okay. But then what happens? You pick the same one. Pick the same person again. Well, he looks different, but he acts the same. She looks different, but she does the same stuff. Why? Because you cannot go around the valley of shadow death. You can't go over the valley of shadow death. you got to go through it. And so you'll pick the same thing because God's going to develop in you the same character that you need to have to be the person God wants you to be. And I don't care how patient you are, God is infinitely more. He'll wait your whole life. So when Kathy says, we should learn to submit to God sooner. Yeah. You get it? Don't got to take that long. Learn to submit to God sooner we go around the mountain until we learn the lesson that god's teaching us or trying to teach us and he is long he's the definition of long suffering he once waited for a nation for 400 years for them to repent so if he's that long suffering with them how long suffering will he be with you How long? How long? How long? How long? Verse 3. Consider, hear, and enlighten. He asked for three things. Three things. Consider me means, God, do you see me? Look at me. Hear me. Can you hear me? Can you hear the cry of my heart? And, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes. Give light to my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death do these three things for me before I die look at me hear me and give me light so I know where to go did God do it? sure he did all three of those things he give them all three of those things he'll give you as the psalmist cries out, he asks these three things. And then his, his heart in verse 4. My enemy is going to say, I prevailed. Let those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. He's saying, look, Saul's going to be able to say, Oh, God said he's going to be king, but I kept him from becoming king. Look, the wicked can do nothing that God don't let them do. That's a hard concept. But well, it's everywhere in this book. See, he's not gaining the victory. God's just waiting. He's long suffering with Saul too. We think God's waiting for for Saul. Is God waiting to kill him? No glory in the destruction of the wicked. What's God waiting for from Saul? Repent, and he waits. Until he can't wait no more. What's God waiting for for you? Why hasn't he done this in my life? Maybe the person he's waiting for is the one that's affecting your life. God waits. But look what he says as he comes to the end. He moves from fear to faith. You can't only live in one of those two circles. You're either going to live in fear or you're going to live in faith. And if you step out of faith, you're living in fear. If I step out of fear, I'm living in, it's only two choices. You're in one or the other. But, in verse 5, great word of contrast, I have trusted in your mercy. Past tense, he's saying, I have made a choice. I have made a choice. I will trust in you. His mercy, God's mercies never fail. The Bible says, teaches the mercy of God never fails. You know what the word for mercy is? It's a word hesed. His hesed is the word chesed. His chesed is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word agape. You heard of agape? What's that? God's love. In Hebrew, it's more often translated mercy or loving kindness. In Greek, it's translated love. His love never fails. Never fails. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because He has dealt bountifully with me. See, David moves from fear to faith, making the choice. I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing to you, God, even though I'm living in a cave. Most of the psalms we have that we're going to read out, especially out of book one of the psalms, the section we're going through, almost all of them came out of the cave days where God built a man after his own heart. So maybe you're in the cave days. You're really a cave man or a cave woman. Eventually God gets you out of the cave. He will bring you to the place of promise. Always does. He always will. What do we cling to? We hold to God's word and we say, man, God's word, life is hard, but God is good.